Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Not Gilbert wrote the words. It's very hot and weighs a lot. Sullivan, the music. So From Mike Lee. One minute, Mr. Grossman. Five minutes. Five minutes, sir. The director of Secrets and Lies. Comes a story of inspiration. Three little mates from school are we. Collaboration. I should like to thank you all most passionately for your tremendous hard work and application. And the magic that happens. You light up the world. You can't help it. When the world is turned upside down. Something inherently disappointing about success. Three little mates who all Topsy turvy. Let's do our best Jim Broadbent impersonation oh, of him, like saying this stuff. Oh, topsy turvy! <laughs> like, if, like he was Harold Ziedler in uh, Moulin Rouge. You got to do one now too. I, I cannot. I am. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Come on! <laughs> I can't because I don't. I don't have the the mustache. I, I think that provides some sort of. <laughs> it's like the uh, uh, the filter or something for for all of his his uh, his very brief uh, comments that he he gives. What the hell is this movie about, Dennis? Well, okay, I, I'm not the guy for this uh, because even after the film, so I, I sent you a, a picture where I'm cracking open this Criterion that, on Blu-ray that I stupidly bought uh, at the I think at the beginning of this 99 from 99 project. Like, oh, that's on the list, you know. And that, but it's it's way off. It's way <laughs> it'll be years before I get to that and. Uh, I still had not really come to terms with the fact that I was actually going to have to, uh, to watch it. And uh, even after having seen it and then watching uh, this sort of half-hour interview uh, with, I believe, the composer uh, for the film or the you know the musical director or whatever um, and the, the actual director, I still had a hard time remembering who was who as far as uh, Gilbert and Sullivan here. <laughs> that that make that will make it sound like I I am that that dumb American that knows nothing about this particular period period in the uh, the theater nothing about these uh, particular uh, operas at all I basically am saying Ben I have no idea why why I ever would you know purchase such a thing uh, 
which is all you know coming around to the fact that I did find myself kind of enjoying it. Do I enjoy the <laughs> the the period that this is set in? No. Do I enjoy the actual profession that these uh, men and women are in? No, not really. Uh, and it didn't make me a fan of it at all. But just getting it down, breaking it down to a film just about process of just putting on a production, uh, and we don't really care what that production is. I did kind of just enjoy the sort of day-to-day grind and the sort of petty bullshit, uh, jealousies, gripes, uh, arguing over uh, salary, and uh, you know just being tired about getting up and going and doing it all over again. I I find this you know although it's long, we're coming off the green mile. This is <laughs> these are these are very long sits. Um, you know, watching it at home, not in the theater where uh, my legs could get cramped. Uh, I found this mostly enjoyable and i'm kind of shocked to say that but do i have like a quick summary that's going to make this marketable in any regard absolutely not because i can't even keep the dude straight as far as you know whom is sullivan whom is uh gilbert i don't know so you are kind of ruining this because i was gonna i was gonna like make fun of you for being you know uh massively ignorant uh towards mm-hmm. the subject matter um so topsy-turvy is about the composers Gilbert and Sullivan and they're putting on the Mikado and they would have probably been best known for doing HMS Pinafore. Uh, yeah, right? right. And that means nothing to me. And I, I assure you it probably means nothing to most people now. Well, mo- no, but- I mean, most people have heard, I think of probably HMS Pinafore nope. and, and the pirates of Penzance. Um, nope. I don't think those are Kevin playing Klein, on TikTok currently uh, right now. I don't think the kids are singing to the, any of this stuff. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> we have to m- proceed forward. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and this is Mike Lee. Mike, so I'm interested to know what your experience is uh, with the director, Mike Lee, here. Because I have a very spotty, uh, you know, history with him. Well, I by no means am an expert on... Um, on this, so let's see. What have I seen? I've seen uh, Mr. Turner. I liked. Uh, I've seen uh, Another Year, which I love. Uh, Happy Go Lucky, also love. So I think those are all within like a, a period of about ten years there, which is, or they're all recent films that I've seen. I've never like purposely like gone back to. Uh, you know, to, to say, okay, Mike Lee, time to, to watch his filmography. Uh, but as stuff has recently come out, um, what I've seen, I've I've enjoyed. So um, this is, but I would say this one, <laughs> you know, if you like Another Year and uh, Happy Go Lucky in particular, which I was a big fan of, uh, this is decidedly different uh, as far as, you know, uh, looking at um, with those films, what I would say is, a very kind look at like very average day-to-day life. Uh, this is certainly not that because it's about put. It's about successful, famous people from their time uh, trying to put on yet another hit, another crowd-pleasing sensation. So, uh, yeah, quite a bit different. I, I think probably from a budget perspective, this had to be one of his highest, if not the highest, budget he probably ever worked with. And it was money well spent, apparently. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm just setting them up for you, Ben. So, so, so I, I have a tro- I, I have trouble with a lot of his films, and the last one I saw was Mr. Turner, and I believe I'd seen all the ones you mentioned, uh, but with the Didn't addition of 
Secrets and Lies, mm, yeah. um, and Vera Drake. Uh, those are both movies that I have a real lot of trouble with. The only film of his that I really like is Happy Go Lucky. Uh, and, and I think a lot of that is Sally Hawkins, but a lot of that is that it has, it has, it has a very pointed aim, uh, Hmm. in that showing this, you know, uh, quirky, happy, you know, crazy person and kind of examining, you know, uh, um, the, the substance of her beneath and all that. But wait a minute, you call him her crazy? Why is she crazy? I, don't know. I haven't seen it in like twelve years, man. I'm trying to go off. She, what? She, she's doing all sorts of stuff. She's bouncing around and running around and and all that. I don't she's remember much pleasant. about it, but I remember um, liking it quite a bit. I would so, say the driving instructor might be crazy. Yeah, I'll, Eddie I'll Martin. He, he, yeah. yeah. So, but uh, when I first saw when I first saw Topsy Turvy, it was like the worst kind of condition because it was like one of those <laughs> cases where. Like it was expiring off of Netflix Instant uh, okay. the next day, and it was so like three a.m. So okay. yes, so I was forcing myself to watch it, and it's a two-hour and forty-minute movie uh, at three a.m. in the morning. Not exactly uh, great, you know, captivating, um, you know, dramatic content inside of it and everything. So honestly, I like it well enough. I enjoy it more than Vera Drake or or Secrets and Lies. Both Secrets and Lies and Vera Drake have really intense, you know, heavy hitting, dramatic scenes. But I feel like when you examine, and you haven't, I don't think you've seen those, correct? I I may have seen Secrets and Lies as a teenager in the nineties, and I don't know if I made it all the way through. So I, I, my yeah. my sense my sense with the with both those movies is that because he's trying to portray he's so he's trying so hard to portray you know real life as it is he ends up creating something that comes off really melodramatic and Mm. and soapy and uh and i i strongly dislike both those movies uh because of it and and i find very little um effective about them and 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 i wasn't really a fan of mr mr turner like a lot of his a lot of his movies to me seem to have the same kind of issue the same sort of you know, I am going to do whatever I can to to uh, to not give this any sort of dramatic shape uh, to the point where where it's so forced, you know, that that directorial style and everything that it just makes you wonder, well, well what brought you to the material in the first place? Like there has mm. to have been something that, you know, that you cared about uh, with, with these people and everything. I think I think Topsy and Turvy is a little bit easier to take. I give it criticism over the length and I give it criticism over some of the content. I don't think a lot of the performances specifically need to go on as long as they do. I didn't find them to be insightful or, or even impressive looking, um, you know, today. Uh, and so, and I, I think that's very fair. I mean, when, when, when Timothy Spall is, you know, seemingly pouring his heart out trying to perform the Mikado song and we're supposed to get really wrapped up into whether or not that song's going to make it in the show i'm just thinking to myself yeah cut the shit cut it now cuts there's only one in act two the Mikado song i beg your pardon mr gilbert yes miss brandrum surely you can't mean mr temple solo that is exactly what i mean i do think that's a shame sir it's a dreadful shame yeah <clears throat> 
My, my dear Mr. Gilbert. Temple. I'm fully aware that the standard of my singing was not quite up to the mark. Your singing was exemplary, Temple. But I can assure you that once I've mastered the leg business, I shall most certainly be at liberty to serve the lyric. I do apologize, Temple. I've not made myself clear. My decision to cut the song in no way reflects upon your performance of it, which was fine in every respect. Here, here. The fault, if there is one, lies in my obtuse decision to write the thing in the first place. I have nothing more to say. Thank you very much. Sullivan? Excuse me. I feel like a director like Stephen Frears or someone of that, of that kind of ilk, I think they would have been able to, I would have been interested to see what they would have brought, what their, their version of Topsy Turvey would have been. And I'm not gonna say Topsy Turvey is a bad film. I, I just, the only reason I'm rewatching it is, be, is for, for this podcast. Uh, and I would not have rewatched it uh, in my lifetime, you know, if, if, if not for that. I think this is a far more uh, valiant uh, effort and quest you're going on then oh shit netflix is about to remove topsy-turvy when will i have <laughs> when will i have access <laughs> to this again <laughs> which is a strange pressure you put on yourself um i kind of agree with you but i'm also coming at it from a place of ignorance so when you have that sequence <laughs> where uh you know this song is going to be cut and I, I i can't i mean <laughs> for life of me i can't get a read on uh, broadbent here so when he's telling this uh performer uh it's not you it's me uh, as far as i you know i shouldn't have written the thing doesn't fit whatever his reasons are he i think he even says like and i'll speak no more of it like he's he's not very uh giving he doesn't invite you into the the process which i, I found amusing but as you know an audience member of my particular age and american and not being invested in this period at all i have no idea if what I'm seeing is supposed to be good or bad, like I, I am not keyed into. <laughs> well, is he lying? Is he trying to protect this actor? Uh, was that you know terrible? Was that not up to his vision, or it, does he have his own personal reasons that he just he wants to cut it? Um, because this is you know this is running a bit long at this point, and I don't I don't know. And I I read some criticism that people had of the the actors themselves doing their own. Uh, their own singing and you know maybe not being up to 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 par i guess but i have i have no idea i mean it, you know i mean ben you're more into uh musical theater uh than me i can't remember uh what uh it's not this movie although you did make a joke in our text messaging as far as having someone deliver food and having topsy-turvy uh blasting <laughs> through the, the walls uh but you know to me it all sounds you know, if not silly, if that's the more complimentary term I can give it, uh, cringeworthy at times. You know, the the lyrics, uh, the jokes, if they if you want to call them that, it's just all a little too cute for me. And the the, the mannerisms, the sort of theatrical flourish that they have, is just you know, to me, it's all going to read as bad. So I'm giving the film credit that I'm actually interested in it for as long as I am. But if I'm supposed to understand uh, the decision making or the thought process behind uh, the performances uh, that it's not successful because I, I I never but, really know what the creators are thinking here. Don't you think it says a lot that that like I've had like I've had a number of conversations with people about about Mike Lee's films. Don't you think it says a lot that this is basically what always ends up coming up is, is oh I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. <laughs> um, you know, and, and at a certain level, it's like 
I don't think that's intentional. I hmm. I don't think I think there's a kind of pretentiousness to 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 his approach to to the material uh, with everything that he does. Sort Is that a of lack a, of commitment on his part? Do you think to like, no? It's sort of it's to. sort of a it's sort of a look at me. I am so incredibly sophisticated. I'm not even going to bother to 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 tell uh, hmm. a, a, a drama a story with 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 some sort of dramatic structure uh, here. And, and and this is much easier to take. Like I don't want to. I want to give the wrong impression. Topsy Turvy is much easier to take than some of his other films. Uh, I think Mr. Turner really lacks a lot of you know dramatic. I mean, you, you're talking about a really miserable character Man, you're really who you're just kind of stuck with. Going um, to town on this poor actor here. You know, he gets you know threatened <laughs> to have his his big solo cut, and now you're saying that the film where he plays <laughs> the title character think, you know, is just lame. You know, Timothy Spall. <laughs> Timothy Spall. He's been you know he's been riding high on the Mike Lee uh, uh, checks for a long time. Like I basically <laughs> like as I was watching Topsy Turvy, I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm betting this is what happened. Timothy Spall was like, oh hey Mike, you know I haven't been getting cast in anything anymore. They say I'm not leading man material. Uh, can you contact your friends? At the UK Film Commission and get us something going. You know that's probably what that's probably the genesis yeah. of Topsy Turvy. Uh-huh. Mr. Turner puts him right back on top. Like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, I mean, okay. do you like I think uh, Timothy Spall can take it? Timothy Spall can take it. I you know I, I guess it still feels some gray like you're you're punching down uh, if you <laughs> if you were no, he's a successful actor. Uh, what what do you make of? Uh, Broadbent here, who's also uh, you know a, a consistent collaborator with Mike Lee. Well, so prior to this, you know, I mean, he had been in um, Bullets Over Broadway, and, and so I think for whatever reason, this kind of started the trend of him being like typecast in like big theatrical roles, which end, ends up leading to you know his what, probably yeah his most his most famous role uh, you know is Harold Ziedler in in. Moulin Rouge, and you know, I think Broadbent's pretty good. I think he's fine. My problems lie exactly with what you were saying. Is that I'm, you know, on one hand, I see I see Gilbert as I guess the more business-minded of of the two and everything, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, when when the when the when the movie kind of needs him to be, he's very uh, critical and and you know like perfectionists and everything and and sort of going into like some of those artistic tirades and every, and all that. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm not left. I'm not left. So this is what I would say. This is my praise for Topsy Turvy. So if I was like an English teacher, you know, and it's like you had a wild night, you know, the night before. <laughs> you don't really want to go in and teach, but you got to tell uh-huh. to give them something about Gilbert and Sullivan cuz this is, you know, early musical theater week or whatever, uh, you know, this would fill to lessons, lesson plans. Oh you know. God. You're going to have there a you go. fucking riot in your classroom. <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I just do not see how you're going to get the kids to, to sit through this, uh, at all. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they got the memo that, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a, a performance, uh, from Mr. Turner, you know, the, the, the above the title hero of that film, uh, I, you know, I'll, as I said, I, it didn't make me a fan of this particular, uh, type of entertainment, but I, I did like in some respects that, you know, what you're talking about as far as the way we're presented the character from, uh, Jim Broadbent is that he's, um, he, he's kind of like a guy that puts on the hard hat. Like, you know, this is what we do. You know, this is like, this is the, uh, the space with which I can work. Uh, it's been successful, 
Um, you know, I, I, I go back in and, uh, you know, we talked about Stephen King in the last episode and he, uh, I think, um, is, is very well known in, um, sort of industry circles as far as for his ability to sit down and he's going to write something every day. He's, he's going to produce material cause that's what he does. He's not, you know, waiting for a particular inspiration. He treats it like a, a job and seeing that compared to his collaborator here who, talks the big game about like oh this is kind of th- this stuff that has been successful is kind of beneath me i'm uh you know i need time to to, to make you know one important piece of art i do like that there's a smart ass uh into this film where the you know the, the sort of postscript is uh yeah that was you know that thing that he wanted to do it was kind of a mild success but it's nowhere near as fun as this and uh i did like that dynamic between the two because the the guy that is expressing uh, you know, deeper artistic sensibilities um, is, in some respect, at least in this version of of the character of the man, is just mostly full of shit. That he's the one enjoying the the, the spoils of war, uh, so to speak. You know, he enjoys women and gambling and drink, uh, and you know, the, the rest of it is just a line that he he uses. And I like that that particular pairing of these these two men. Uh, that the one that is no fuss um, and kind of a stickler is the one that's just uh, going to work, just produce some entertainment and then on to the next thing that hopefully entertains, you know, uh, a packed theater. It was a time when artists like Orson Welles, John Houseman, and Diego Rivera were changing the rules. I'm Nelson Rockefeller. I've chosen your sketch to be included in the lobby at Rockefeller Center. And one new artist and his play were about to change their world. You have written something groundbreaking. Never before has an American musical dealt with social issues. But when Washington decided to shut them down... No one should be afraid of an idea! The real drama began. Our union has forbidden us from performing in this show. If we even go to that theater, we could lose our job. Touchstone Pictures and director Tim Robbins present... It's a dangerous play, Ian. It's a great role. The extraordinary true story... This is the United States, it's not Russia. Get out of here! ...about the passion of a generation. When did you stop supporting art? I support your art, but that does not mean that I must support your revolution. The price of talent. For the first time in American history, the government has sent armed guards to prevent the performance of a play. And the power. It is not easy being the one that stands up and says the truth. ...of ordinary people. I didn't want to miss this. Hank Azaria, Reuben Blades, Joan Cusack, John Cusack, Carrie Elways, Angus McFadden, Bill Murray, Vanessa Redgrave, Susan Sarandon, John Turturro, and Emily Watson. When the storm breaks! The cradle will rock! Cradle will rock. Moving on. Um, to oh, yeah. Cradle Will Rock, uh, and I so this is going to be quite. I think that I'm going to predict this is going to be quite a shock for you. Cradle Will Rock is one of my favorite films of 1999. Uh, uh, no. I no. was shocked when when I found this, um, probably about a decade ago or so, and uh, I was just seeing. I was just watching it because you know figured okay, well this is another movie from 1999. Uh, I like Tim Robbins, the director. Uh, might as well check it out. And and I was quite shocked uh, by by how good it how good it was, um, and how uh, accomplished it was. Um, you know the we, the the movie starts 
with this extremely complex uh, opening scene that moves from the behind, from being behind a, uh, uh, a movie theater, from being behind a, a projection of a movie theater where a homeless woman uh, has, been, has been sleeping, uh, played by Emily Watson, and she walks out and then the camera follows her and they use these not so not so imperceivable uh, cuts, similar to mm-hmm. to what you saw in in Rope, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, where you know they move behind a curtain or whatever, and they do a cut there. Um, but it just shocked me. It just right off the bat, it 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 shocks you with with its style. That you know, you, in many regards, you think you're getting set up to see. The, to see something like Topsy Turvy, that's going to be just some kind of boring laundry list <laughs> oh, of oh. you know, oh hey, this is how Cradle Will Rock was performed, and this is how this is what uh, you know uh, Mark Blitzstein was going for here, and this is what was happening with these people. You think you're going to get that, and you end up getting quite the opposite. You get a movie that is just filled with ideas, just brimming with ideas. Uh, I, I completely understand why it went over some critics' head. Uh, heads in 1999. I completely understand why coming to December of 1999 with the kind of movies that we have, you know, you know, we, I mean, we've listed them off a few times, Magnolia, American Beauty, The Green Mile, The Insider, uh, The Sixth Sense, uh, so many more, uh, Talented Mr. Ripley we haven't even talked about. Um, I completely understand why coming to the end of 1999 that this movie just got uh, you, you know, completely overlooked. Um, it, there, there's so many different uh, threads that that it's carrying, um, and including this uh, feature, featuring of Diego Rivera and and this mural that he's painting. Um, you know, and they're kind of anachronistically putting these two things uh, together, uh, but it all it, it works so perfectly to me thematically, and and I love that Robbins chose to approach the material in that way instead of so so uh it also I think helps because because so 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 I I had seen this done on stage and basically it's just the third act of what we get here so all the stuff when they're taking it to the streets and everything um that's how they they perform it today is that you're like waiting in line and the actors start you know, uh, like coming in and, and like dragging you into the theater and everything, uh, and then like the 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 woman who's played here by the character by Emily Watson, uh, Olive Stanton. She you know sings. She's the first one to sing, and then it's like a real. It's like a very like very mix of different narrative styles uh, theatrically and everything. And so instead of Robbins approaching it that way and just giving us a very straightforward adaptation of Mark Blitzstein's uh, uh, work, he decides to pull in everything that, you know, that went into, into it, including everything that's going on in this time period. And, and boy, I, I just think, I, I just think it's one, one of the unseen gems of 1999 for most people. And I hope more people will check it out and I hope they can, I hope they can check it out with more of a spirit of, of fun, which is what I think I think the movie kind of approaches it it with. There, there's this there's this hysterical moment late in the movie where um, uh, F- Philip Baker Hall 
and uh, Vanessa Redgrave, right? Yeah, uh, they're mm-hmm. they're they're dressing up. They're they've dressed up to go to a um, 17th century like masquerade ball or something, and, and they start seeing all the all the people. Uh, from the street who are, who are, you know, who are trying, who are like storming the theater in order to perform this play. And they, and, and they think that they think they're being hunted down because they're the heirs, because they're dressed up as the aristocracy. Um, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, there's, there's just some, like a lot of, uh, there's a lot of life to this movie that I think will throw people off if they, you know, looking at it from the outside. And I hope that's something that, that people can embrace if they do check it out. It's a fucking mess. That's it. That's all I've said. That's all I've it's, said. It is. What, what's your piece? It is, it is a is a mess. Um, I I don't know. It's just I I have a a problem with the cast <laughs> for one. Like I feel like the the characters you get a bit more time with. Like you mentioned that we open with. Emily Watson, I, I like her particular arc. I like whenever she's on on screen and her journey. Um, you know, when we 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 drop in on various goofballs or uh, you know John Cusack playing uh, Rockefeller, uh, you have uh, Tenacious D, you got Jack Black and uh, Kyle. I don't know the other the comedian's last name as part of that band. It, it's just. You know, it feels, you know, you, you took to how sort of overstuffed with ideas that was. And to me, I'm looking at it as, uh, you know, you, Robbins, you need to just calm down here. Like, because at a certain point I throw my hands up and I'm like, I don't know who this person is. Uh, I don't find this really amusing anymore. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't care. And I have like a... Uh, it's it's a pro- I don't know if it's not a personal failing, but I've just discovered, in particular recently with uh, David Fincher's Mank, uh, that I am totally uninterested in Orson Welles the character in pretty much anything. Like I, <laughs> I don't like listening to him. I probably wouldn't have liked the man himself either. But I'm not I'm not going to attack him as a, as a real person. But uh, the dramatic representation of Orson Welles. Uh, ultimate fucking blowhard. Um, yeah, I just check out, and it. I, I certainly do here as he's just running around um, like an idiot. Uh, just cannot wait for his ne- very next breath. Uh, just to listen to himself bark out commands and orders. And I don't know. I, so, I, I well, don't think be, this to is be one. Fair, to be fair, you're saying that's accurate. Well, I'm just saying to be fair. One of the things I like about it is that Orson Welles is portrayed as egotistical. Well, I think it'd be hard not to with as much <laughs> oxygen as he needs in the room. Um, it's just, you know, I, I told you I watched it twice just because I, I watched it. Um, some of these things like the Green Mile, I, I, I watched, you know, months ago and I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's fine. Like, you know, but this is one that I felt like before recorded tonight, I'm like, okay, I need to give it another go. And I knew that going into it, <laughs> I didn't much care for it. So maybe that's why you're also getting a little bit of a harder edge to my comments on it because now I've, I've put myself through it twice and there's the immediacy of just coming off of it uh, right before we have this conversation. But, um, you know, I just don't, it's not in particular like particularly timely for me now either in the sense of um caring too much on these these <laughs> these artists getting to put on this particular production and like the the political bent is something that i 
should agree with, and yet I find myself, like, as I watch it, becoming far more conservative, where I'm just like, you you people here uh, do not deserve jobs or money. Stop lecturing me. Uh, shut up. And uh, so it felt like being at an award show, uh, listening to the celebrities uh, lecture me, except this was packaged as, like, a you know two-hour-and-change movie. And the, the characters that I respond to more usually are not the loudest ones they're the quiet ones in the room that are you know just trying to do their thing but instead it's mostly uh, a lot of loud uh shouting uh men um with huge egos and i i found it to be uh very unpleasant uh for pretty much the entire runtime so what, what, what <laughs> one of the central ironies of all this stuff and this is true with um the, the Three Penny Opera, uh, which, which is by Bertolt Breck. Um, so the Three Penny Opera, it's called the Three Penny Opera because you paid three pennies to go and see it. Uh, what what happens with something like the Three Penny Opera or the Cradle of Rock, you know, 90 years later, is that they're mainly performed for rich upper class mm. elitists paying $100, $200 a ticket uh, in New York City or whatever. So it is really funny in that regard. Uh, these things start out as populist and as being, you know, geared towards underdogs. And mm-hmm. here, you know, this is this is largely being aimed at the economic um, struggles of the time of the Great Depression. Um, it is really funny to think that that through the course of time, this same kind of material becomes something that that only intellectuals really would mm. would praise. Um, I really respect Tim Robbins <laughs> attempting to try and make it, you know, in, into into something that could that could that could get back to, back to what its roots was. Um, you're probably right in the sense that it could come off as didactic and lecturing uh, today, but. To me, it, it, it's just, I mean, it, to me, it's just as timely as ever because there, there's so much discussion now about media and, and the narrative, narratives of media, the narrative of, of the fiction that we watch and how that uh, changes our viewpoints as, as human beings. And, you know, there's a, it is largely thought, it is largely thought that whoever ends up controlling that message will basically end up, you know, controlling the course of the world. And that's what I found surprising on, on this viewing, uh, how, uh, incredibly fiercely debated, you know, that is still to this day. And and I think Robbins is onto that. Uh, have you seen, have you seen a movie called Bob Roberts? By chance, no, that was, I have not. That was early '90s, was it not? That's his first movie. Yeah, and it's a mockumentary, like a Christopher Guest style mockumentary. And I feel like you would you would enjoy that maybe more, but you might find it to be overstuffed as well, uh, like this. Um, I think Robbins, as was so, this so, last so typically movie as far as no, that was this, film? Bob Roberts was was his first movie, but it was Cradle, Cradle Rock. Rock. It is basically his last movie. There, I, okay. I looked up on IMDb. He had something after this, but it didn't get. No one saw it. Uh, okay. Basically, it was just a festival movie. Um, and 
typically, typically when, when actors become directors, it's because they want to give themselves vanity projects to star mm-hmm. in. Um, and that's what I like about Robin's weird little three picture turn here as a filmmaker. Um, in, in Bob Roberts, you know, he's, he's playing a not so very good guy. Uh, <laughs> in, in Dead Man Walking, he doesn't appear. Same thing in Cradle, a Cradle of Rock, a film full of actors, full of roles. He doesn't give himself a single role. Uh, he was really intensely interested at, you know, you know, in filmmaking itself, in, in propaganda. Um, he, I believe he listed uh, the, the Battle of Algiers as like one of his top favorite films of all time. And it kind of tells you a lot about like where his interests lie. Um, you know, he, he's really interested in how films can shape you know, people's viewpoints and people's thinking and people's philosophies and all that. Uh, and I, th- and I think if you look at that, you know, in terms of, of that being the core of what, of what he's going after here, I really don't think this is an Orson Welles puff piece or, 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 or love letter to Orson Welles. I think he's, he's largely sympathizing more with Blitzstein. Um, Orson Welles is described, is portrayed almost as a prostitute at one point directly, uh, by, by Blitzstein. How long do you suppose you can whore your talents before you're no. used up and unwise? Whore my talents. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, who's the sponsor of The Shadow? I think of him as my patrons. His corporate Medici. They pay well, Mark, and with that money I pay for theater, I buy props that the federal government won't approve. Right. Costumes, makeup, set pieces, uh, puppets, I feed my friends, get my actors drunk. You're such a god. Hey, there's nothing wrong with money, Mark. Everyone digs that beat. Everybody wants in. It's all the rage. I mean, even the boys in the crumble are starting to roll around in it. You, you think that Mr. Stalin is eating the same meal as the factory worker? I have no, no problem with We money. call it the Ritz and you call I, it the I have turn no problem club. with money, Orson. I yeah, mean, like yeah, everybody yeah. else does. The question is, what will you do for the money? Where do you draw the line? Good question. <laughs> That's what my play is about. You know, Cradle Rock is about prostitution. Prostitution of education, prostitution of the press, mm. prostitution of the courts, mm. and most important... Yeah, uh, the Washington 29, no. Most important for you and me, mm. Orson, mm. prostitution of the artist. Where do you draw the line? Do you draw the line? How long before you're doing soap commercials? Well, this is going extremely well. I mean, you know, to be fair, I didn't much care for Mank either, so um, yeah, you can... I guess just uh, as I said, that's why I put it out there. Maybe it's just me uh, and getting to see Orson Welles, the character, over and over again. But Now, what is, uh, you brought this mink up, but what is it? <laughs> I brought up the, my distaste of Orson Welles, the character. What is what is mink? Mank? Mank, yeah, what is it? Oh, you're, you're doing your Netflix routine again. I No, I've literally never heard of it. I've literally... <laughs> Um, yes, Mank, the, uh, the, uh, um, well, it's on, uh, Herman Mankiewicz and then, you know, Orson Welles is a minor character in, uh, Fincher's version of, uh, you know, the, uh, I guess the, the writing of, uh, Citizen Kane, but, uh, you know, it's on Netflix, so th- this would not be, uh, not be, uh, accessible, uh, by you, unless I guess it fell off a truck or something of that nature. Well, yeah, not, a, not a real movie basically is what you're saying so <laughs> uh it not is a, interesting not evidence to, not to, evidence. Uh, to put it in that particular context because uh while while uh mank would uh I, I would assume would reach far more people than something like cradle will rock and a, a traditional very sort of limited release um i i can't <laughs> swear Netflix will never reveal the data that more people will actually watch Mank when given access to it than they would Cradle Will Rock. So um, I, I don't know if one has become more 
more populist in, in a certain regard. But uh, yeah, I mean, this this movie here, similar fashion, uh, maybe not as glossy, has more of a, sort of like a punk rock kind of spirit to it than uh, than what Netflix is doing with their the big Oscar contender this year. But um, yeah, by no means, you know, I think what you're liking about it is not does not make it any more accessible to someone as far as why they should care, which actually made this like an interesting double as much as I sort of was lamenting the fact that we're having an episode on topsy turvy incredible rock. I was shocked that, um, that I, you know, came, came away just as ignorant about <laughs> the, uh, the events of topsy turvy, but found that I found an in there where I found like, okay, uh, I, you know, cause I guess I, I just became like a kind of an office workplace comedy for me. Uh, whereas this one, you know, and even some of the criticism I was reading about it upon its releases, it's like, good God, man, Robbins is, he's trying to tackle like everything of this, this time period and, and put it into a, a very fast paced, uh, just over two hour film. And for me, it presents far too many jumping off points. Uh, for myself and what I would expect to be many uh, people that uh, actually could stumble upon this where uh, it may have its hooks in with, with some of the characters. Um, one in particular, so uh, the Flanagan character, Hallie Flanagan, who's like trying to hold all of this together. This, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, 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 I can see her purpose. Uh, I enjoy, um, even though I'm, you know, oddly not supportive of some of the, I guess the acts she's trying to find a place for all these artists in this world where, uh, where, where people are under a uh, great financial strain. She's even allowing, you know, this, you know, this ventriloquist and, uh, the, these people like in makeup and doing sort of like, you know, this almost like circus style performers. She has a certain like zeal for it that I find charming and amusing, uh, and I do like the Bill Murray thing, uh, the, the very yeah. uh, divided Bill Murray character with his his particular act. I, I think that is one particular great sequence that I I love. But you know, um, I, I think that the like the Cusack stuff in particular with Rockefeller to me feels like something you could cut. Like it's just like you you know the direction it's going. It ends up just being like a gag of like. You know the the money man and then the artist just like screaming at each other and it's like we get it. Uh, I kind of wish that it was a far more narrow focus. As strange as it is to say, like topsy turvy with that being three hours long, uh, where it's just about sort of the one thing, and then you could focus a lot on the ensemble of people who are touched by putting on that one production. But you know we end up we end up tackling for quite a bit more because you know that's what that's what Tim Robbins had on the brain with this this particular film. Yeah, I just think it's a movie that deserves to be celebrated for for all these different ideas and everything that are that are competing with each other. And I don't know. Uh, we brought up Moulin Rouge earlier with with Jim Broadbent, and, and I kind of think about that as well. In that, that's another movie that that just seems to be you know bouncing off the walls in terms of all the different mm. ideas and everything it wants to accomplish. Um, Cradle Roll Rock being another story of the theater and everything. Yeah, it's very similar, just with just with a different kind of style. Um, what is so it? I don't know. I hope more people and this uh, this tone <laughs> that you all like. Because I remember watching Moulin Rouge. Uh, I think I watched it in theaters, and I just sat there like incredibly 
you know, with my hands, my arms crossed, just thinking the whole time, this is not for me. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to comment on it. Like, you know, my friends are into it. I'll just keep my comments to myself. But it, it just, I was, I could just tell for like 10 minutes in, I'm like, nah, this is, this I is think you have to bag. give yourself over to the material a little bit. There's a certain well, leap of faith to it. You know, I mean, I think I mean, that happens if any, any genre, you know, I mean, if, if I don't, I, I don't think these things are meant to be experienced with with your hands crossed and and with you know judgmental eyes. I mean, I well, think you know they're I mean, meant Dan to Zook, be experienced with. Mike Lee open... did it with Topsy Turvy. He pulled me in. I mean, there it was. Yeah, have you ever it, seen it a can picture of Mike Lee? He looks like the most judgmental <laughs> asshole in the world. Like, <laughs> like he's got those puffy cheeks, and he's just like you know, mm, I'm so you know. So I'm sorry, but you know what? I gravitate more towards the the spirit and passion that that Robinson fused. You just into you just have Shawshank Rock. on the brain. You're just so you're so into uh, in Tim Robbins' camp, but yeah, uh, you're you not go. wrong in that little half hour interview. <laughs> I think <laughs> on the topsy turvy uh, Criterion disc, uh, the guy it, it felt like a podcast where. Uh, uh, the host was like really happy to to have the director there, and like just like I can't wait to get into it. And he, I can't remember what the question was exactly, but he was like, you know, you, you strike me more uh, as uh, you know, and I've forgotten uh, which is which again. But whoever Broadbent was, um, you, you strike me more as like you know that type. Uh, is that you know would would you say that's true about yourself? And Mike Lee says, why would you say that? <laughs> that's it's like it's just like even on this supplemental feature where presumably he worked with this guy on the film so it's not a journalist covering him uh he was not very giving and i think he you know if he was trying to make the point that he was like uh broadbent's performance uh then well done because he was he was not going to let anyone in and very short and and brief in his his responses so that is a terrible podcast uh this one was much better this one was strangely so look, far more though, enthusiastic so but look like, have you ever have you ever gone to dinner with like a, a, an absolutely insane person, and, and Wait, they're just talking? And, no, no, I'm saying if you've ever gone to a, to like to like dinner or, or had a drink with an absolutely insane person, and you know you got mm. them into a corner and you were talking to them, and they started opening up about all their different thoughts that they had in their head, uh, you know. Being imbibing alcohol and everything, and grant, granted, that's mm-hmm. definitely having an, an effect. Uh, and they're going off and off and about all these crazy things and everything. And you can't follow anything they're saying, but at the same time, you know that if you were to turn away and talk to anyone else there, you would be absolutely bored out of your mind, and you you would want to mm-hmm. know what this crazy person in the corner is saying. That's sort of what mm-hmm. Cradle Rock is like. And, and so. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good review. Looking for consistency, looking for consistency in it is, is, is somewhat of a mistake. You know, you, tr- you should try to you should try to at the very least enjoy the experience of it first. I, I think you should give Topsy Turvy that chance as well. You said you, you swore it off, so you never did. watch it again. I, <laughs> I, I think we're both two for two. I watched Cradle Rock twice. You've seen Topsy Turvy twice, so you know maybe third time's the charm for each of us. I don't know about all that. Uh, oh, okay. But... Yeah, it, what happened to your big speech? Your impassioned plea to give the, the crazy guy the chance. But uh, all right, what is what is, what is next, uh, Ben? I'm sure this this reached you know all twelve people that are interested in this <laughs> very particular double feature. Oh uh, yeah, this is uh, this is that woman who uh, <laughs> she played a 
She played like a lesbian or a trans woman in Albert Knobs, right? Uh, I don't. Yeah, that's not. Uh, if that's the best we've got. Is that got, not the film? <laughs> um, then you know we're in trouble. This is uh, Tumbleweeds, which I yep. I had never heard of. Um, I I've know, never seen things. it. I've never seen it. Okay, so I I didn't know why I had it on the list. Uh, I'm thinking, what Janet McTeer? Did she get nominated? She, yeah, Maybe she did, what, and I oh, okay, and I believe it was it. kind of a surprise. So right. it'll be interesting to watch. The only thing, so literally, the only thing I I, I remember about Janet McTeer is that uh, she corners uh, Glenn Close and Albert Knobs, and then like kind of very strangely just reveals her her gigantic bosoms to Albert Knobs, oh, uh, and all so. Right. That's my only experience of Janet McTeer up until now. Well, okay, you're, you're selling that movie. Um, <laughs> cool, maybe I'll, I'll check that out. Uh, but yeah, Tumbleweeds, uh, Mother Daughter, looks like a, a road movie of sorts, and uh, directed by Gavin O'Connor, who went on to do <laughs> movies uh, pretty much explicitly about uh, hyper-masculine uh, men. So this is kind of strange that this is, I guess, the, the starting point, and then went on to doing an MMA movie. Um, yeah, I'll I'll stick with the uh, your pitch, Janet McTeer bosoms in a completely other movie. Got it. But this one's Tumbleweeds PG thirteen. That's our next episode, and <laughs> it gets its own uh, its own single uh, episode right before we start getting into the the big stuff for Oscar season. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99 99.